Hi, everyone. I'm Jen Malott, and thanks for joining us for our 13th episode of Essential Antitrust. Now, today we're going to step a little bit outside the realm of antitrust and competition and talk about financing the green transition of industry. How does the EU plan to achieve it, and how should businesses approach it? Um, you know, financing the decarbonization and transformation of industry is a global challenge. And in the past decade, sustainability and climate protection have become more and more important to governments, to companies, and to everyday people like you and me. But at the moment, the contours of how we might fully transform the 21st century economy to reduce the effects of global warming and pollution are not yet fully clear. And so we see a lot of companies in the private sector still wondering whether the green transition will make them less competitive due to the significant investments that are required to transition to green technologies. In the US, there's a green agenda under the new Biden administration, but today we're gonna to focus on the EU where things are a step ahead. The EU launched its European Green New Deal in 2019, and today we're going to explore in a bit more detail how the EU might finance the green transition with the help of sustainable finance and EU state aid. So for those of you who aren't familiar, state aid is part of our antitrust competition and trade practice at Freshfields, and it's an area of law that will play a key role in facilitating the green transition. So today I'm joined by two colleagues who are experts in state aid and regulatory affairs, respectively. Uh, first, we have Merit Altov, who's a principal associate in our ACT group working from our Brussels and Berlin offices. Hi, Merit. Hi, Jen. Pleasure to speak to you today. And then we have uh, Christian Smits, who's the head of our EU and regulatory affairs team here in Brussels. Hi, Christian. Hi, Jen. Nice to be here. So, Christian, why don't I uh, kick this off with you? Can you just tell us a little bit about what the EU has been doing so far to incentivize the private sector to spend more on the green transition? Sure, Jen. So, in 2019, the EU published its European Green Deal and set out to become the world's greenest economy, not just to protect the environment, but also to become a world leader in green technology. So we'll talk about what the Green Deal and its ambitious targets are in a second. But the question really is, what does it mean to companies doing business in the EU? For example, the EU wants to decarbonize the energy sector and cut greenhouse gas emissions by 50 or 55 percent compared to 1919 levels. But what are the industries that are under pressure to change their production to more environmentally friendly processes expected to do now? Do they feel like they receive sufficient support from the EU and from the member states to achieve these extremely ambitious targets? And maybe most importantly, who will pay for the green transition of the EU's economy? Merit may be able to shed some light on this. She's one of our experts in EU state aid law, and those rules will govern what member states are allowed to do in terms of public financing this transition. Merit? Yes, um, thanks, Christian. Well, on some of the money, that's required will have to come from EU the member states and some of the money will have to come from the EU directly. So one plays into the other. EU and member states are willing to make vast amounts of public funding available. The Commission's Recovery and Resilience Facility will make a total of 672.5 billion euros available in loans and grants to support reforms and investments undertaken by member states. Member states in turn need to show that at least 37% of their spending under this facility relates to projects furthering climate protection, and they also need to spend this money in accordance with EU state aid rules. The aim is to mobilize even more private investments together with this public spending. 
So bottom line is really public and private spending together to shoulder the green transition. However, I often hear from clients, how is this actually feasible merit? What does reality look like? Well, it is extremely difficult to keep track for clients of the countless funding instruments that the EU and member states want to make available. EU laws and national laws are being reviewed and revamped and made fit for purpose while we're speaking. But the exact outcome and impact in practice are so far very unclear. So thanks, Merit. Thanks, Christian. And, and I think just listening to that introduction, it strikes me that it sounds like we have a lot of projects that are being initiated by a lot of different decision makers. And so while we have a lot of people who agree that sustainability is high priority, uh, it doesn't seem clear that there's sort of one path that everyone is following or that the transformation has been fully set in motion. Um, you know, Christian, you're our public affairs expert. What do you think are the main hurdles to getting this done? Well, Jen, in short, the answer is it involves a complete rethinking of industries and of society. And that means a lot of legislative changes to bring the regulatory framework up to speed and to ultimately change people's and our clients' mind on how we approach new transactions, collaborations and projects. But as we already mentioned, it also requires huge amounts of capital that need to be invested in our industries, in our infrastructure, in our buildings, to be able to bring about the societal change needed in the use of energy. So the big question over the coming years is going to be, what can the EU and what can the member states and companies do to overcome these immense hurdles? Mirit, what do you think? I think that um, from a legislative point of view, there are three core areas that I'd like to mention on that. First, the EU climate law, which is in the making. The climate law is really a cornerstone of the Green Deal. And the key message here is that it gives hard targets, climate targets, which can be translated into legislative goals. The Commission will now propose its Fit for 55 package on the 14th of July, which includes a complete rewrite of legislation across the board. And that is mainly to align with the Paris targets. Second is the ongoing revamp of the EC's guidance for state aid. Most of EU state aid instruments are currently being reviewed and revised, and the Commission is conducting a lot of public consultations to receive input from stakeholders. The key instrument for achieving the Green Deal may well be the revised climate, environmental protection and energy guidelines for state aid. We'll discuss them in more detail shortly. Third is the EC Sustainable Finance Strategy. Sustainable finance is the second topic that we'll also discuss in this episode. And the Commission has published its Sustainable Finance Strategy recently, and we'll talk about that later. But again, funding seems key and a significant part of the EU's allotted recovery spending, as I said, 37%, is earmarked for green spending. All in all, the EU is very active and working on a lot of proposals at the legislative front. So, you know, with all of these projects that you've mentioned, Merit, I mean, what are our clients making all of, out of all of this? Um, you know, Krishna, are you already speaking to companies about what the green about the green transformation of their businesses? And what are the key concerns that they have about all of this? Yeah, Jen, we, we are talking to a lot of clients about this. And believe me, it's not only easy conversations. Key industry players don't really know how to finance sustainable business and, and don't know really what to make of the Green Deal in general. So 
you know, if you list it, clients are in the dark, lacking certainty, you know, things are in flux, they want answers, they need guidance, but there's countless initiatives and instruments that are being discussed and published. And companies don't yet fully understand how they can apply for funding, what the conditions are for funding and what the time frame is for funding. And then how EU law and national law interact with regard to funding. So what we typically advise on is, you know, guidance on which money will be available straight from the EU and which money would come from the member states and would be subject to compliance with EU state aid laws. And then there is a plethora of apparent funding schemes, in particular NextGen EU, which has at its heart the Recovery and Resilience Facility, the one that makes available 672.5 billion in loans and grants to support reforms. But they're all currently busy getting their individual spending plans approved by the EU, these member states. So you have both national and EU level, and how do you approach this? So then clients need guidance on the differences in approach and emphasis in each individual country. For example, how do you choose a jurisdiction if you have a choice for a new project? And then you have to anticipate what green standards and regulation will actually look like so that companies can plan their activities to meet these criteria. And Merit, are you having a similar experience on the legal side with this sort of uncertainty and lack of clarity around kind of day-to-day operations? Yes, Jen, very much. And I'm seeing a lot with clients that actually planning ahead and project management becomes extremely important in all of that. So we are advising clients on applications for funding. And while some of them rarely happen still because of this is all kind of new and there's very little in-house experience at clients and companies, they increasingly seek our guidance on how to structure these funding applications. At the same time, the Commission really wants to see notifications for funding and applications under EU state aid rules because the Commission themselves, they want to test their new instruments. They want to see how the private sector actually requires and what it requires to achieve the transformation and how this could fit into their state aid framework. So I think the key challenge for us as advisors and where we come into play is really to show clients um, the road between the status quo of where we are at the moment and what the commission tries to achieve with its revamp of the state aid framework in the future. So my advice to clients, they should engage proactively with regulators and rethink processes internally. There is an opportunity out there to engage in public consultations to stress the importance really of what they are requiring in terms of funding and to not wait until others have pushed ahead and applied for funds or participated in consultation processes, but to proactively shape the guidance in their preferable way. And maybe, you know, circling back to the point uh, at the at the start of the podcast that, you know, state aid uh, is part of our competition practice here in Brussels. Um, when we think about this from a state aid perspective, what are the aspects that clients need to focus on when they're engaging with regulators? Well, I think just listen to what Executive Vice President Margrethe Vestager said. She said Europe will need a considerable amount of sustainable investments And she wants to provide member states with the legal framework, i.e. with the state aid framework, to do so. Yeah, and I mean, just reacting to that, I mean, that sounds very ambitious uh, from from the Commission. And do you think that clients understand where the Commission is heading and what sort of funding will be possible in the future? Or is it all still a bit murky? Well, it is all still in flux. And I think 
let me respond with a client story or an example of a recent client advice that I gave to this question because it shows very much how clients are in part still in the dark on all of that. So we were approached by our client who's a German industry client on an application for public funding under EU state aid rules in the hundreds of millions of euros. First, these are amounts that German authorities that actually need to deal with the application vis-a-vis -vis the commission have not handled before ever. Second, the client was not aware whether the commission or whether Germany would set the conditions for the funding or whether both of them would actually act together. Third, the client did not know how exactly the decision-making process in relation to state aid law is divided between the member state and the commission. And fourth and finally, the client was also very much concerned that the conditions attached to the funding that it would be made available are very super strict and that German authorities would want to ensure that the project that they receive funding for is actually carried out in practice and not just a theoretical idea. So I think that example really shows well on what types of issues are at the forefront of clients' minds. And I think going forward, it will be interesting to see how companies' needs for funding will be reflected in the revised state aid framework. We will see a shift probably in state aid policy towards more spending. And that is all kind of in the making at the moment. So you could say that historically, EU state aid law had two drivers. On the one hand, it was a tool to further the main goal of the EU, which is the creation of a single market in which companies from all member states compete on a level playing field by implementing state aid laws that drastically limit the member states' abilities to support their own industry. So the Commission ensured that large member states with deep pockets would not back their own companies to the detriment of companies from smaller member states. And on the other hand, it's been a long time in the making that the EU agenda uh, had to limit state intervention in its internal market to a minimum. But the problems the EU is facing now in terms of climate change may lead to a rethinking in state aid policy. The green transformation is simply too expensive. Market players are unable to cover costs involved and often faced with first mover disadvantages. So a lot of public spending is required to incentivize private funding and to overcome market failure and establish market launch of new products and industries. It'll be really interesting to see how the Commission intends to find the balance between its traditional state aid policy and the need for much more public spending. Because the basic principle that competition in the internal market should not be distorted by state aid will surely remain in place, but it can be expected that much more money will be made available by member states but to keep a check on this public spending, the funding must not only be limited to the minimum requirement, the aid must be proven to be appropriate to achieve the Green Deal's targets. You know, you know, Christian, it, it almost sounds like this is potentially a real paradigm shift in EU state aid law away from strict enforcement of state aid rules towards, you know, something that's more approving of public spending to enable the Green New Deal to happen. Is that right, Merit? Yeah, and just let me jump in there. It, it is indeed like that, Jen, as you say, and it will be very interesting to see what the actual new state aid environment will look like in the future. And just to make this a bit more concrete and actually talk about what has been updated on the rule book, I'd like to name a few examples in this context. First is the energy guidelines that I referred to before. We've just seen a week ago the Commission's proposal for these revised energy guidelines and what you see there is 
an extension of the scope of the guidelines, so to make funding available to many new areas, an extension of the aid amounts, like the permissible aid amounts. What they're proposing there now is 100% funding of the funding gap and increased flexibility and streamlining of aid spending. As I mentioned earlier, this energy guideline set is a key instrument going forward in achieving the Green Deal targets. And I think it can be expected that many companies will try to obtain funding under these new energy guidelines once they enter into force at the beginning of 2022. The second instrument I'd like to mention is the EU emission trading system. We've seen revised guidelines for the ETS system last year, and they entered into force at the beginning of this year. They now include, for example, the hydrogen producing industry, which is a key industry in facilitating the green transformation. And third, a very interesting instrument to keep an eye on are the so-called important projects of common European interest, the IPSIs. There's an ongoing revision of the Commission's IPSI communication to allow for more cross-border projects, so big projects that actually involve various member states, to mobilize public and private funding. Christian, what is your view on instruments like IPSI? Are member states happy with that? Are they annoyed by it? What do they think? A couple of things on, on IPSI's gen. A number of these projects have already been started, but the Commission, and it's led by the French Commissioner Thierry Breton, they're certainly on the hunt for more. But you shouldn't assume that everyone in all the member states will give you unequivocal support if you wanted to put in place an IPSI. There are definitely member state voices criticizing IPSIs, and their arguments goes back to what I mentioned earlier. State aid laws are also intended to maintain a level playing field between larger and smaller countries. And IPSIs are controversial with smaller member states because they view them as a way to entrench dominant positions for industries in larger countries, such as France and Germany. So for our clients, we tell them you have to carefully orchestrate your coalition around a project. And that's really critical, not just for IPSIs, but also for large individual projects. I'd absolutely agree on that, Christian. I think key for companies is now to really have a clear roadmap for their funding and knowing exactly who they need to talk to at national and at EU level. State aid is, of course, only one side of the coin. There's also the EU's own sustainable finance package. Yeah, I mean, indeed, Merit. And it will be, I think, really interesting to see how the national instruments that are made available by member states that are subject to state aid rules will interact with the Commission's sustainable finance package. And on that note, Christian, what exactly is this finance package and how is it supposed to help the EU achieve these sustainability goals? Yeah, super interesting, Jen. So the Commission's been working on this for a few years now, and, and there is a sustainable finance strategy in place, but they're going to renew it, and we're going to see a new one even this July. So this strategy, it's an across-the-board drive by the European Union to make finance more sustainable in every aspect, by funding the right activities, but also potentially by disincentivizing funding for activity that they feel is harmful to the planet. And they do this through a mix of standards for what is sustainable and what's not, and then forcing companies to disclose what they do to be sustainable. And this then helps investors choose where to put their capital. But there are real concerns that there isn't enough of a pipeline of sustainable projects, as we've heard in our context with the Commission, to spend all the money on. And that's what we're discussing today. There aren't enough projects there yet, and the Commission's keen for more. And we want to stress that if you play your cards well, 
that there's a real opportunity here in terms of funding. Well, Christian, you can't stop there. I mean, I'm sure people would love to hear how should they play their cards? <laughs> sure, Jen. One key aspect to keep an eye on is the so-called sustainable finance taxonomy. Now, this is basically the EU's new system of criteria that decide whether an economic activity is sustainable or not. And it is meant to guide investment. And although it's not a mandatory system, the EU's ambition is to embed it as much as possible in future spending. In addition, the Commission has just promised members of the European Parliament, in writing, that if, based on the European Commission's assessment, a member state's spending plan under the recovery plan as funding does not reach the 37% target, which Mirit mentioned earlier, the Commission just simply cannot endorse it. So embedding the sustainable finance philosophy in spending is particularly true for one key aspect of the taxonomy, which is the do no significant harm principle, or DNSH, as it's colloquially known here in Brussels, for which the Commission has already published guidance on its application in the context of the Recovery and Resilience Facility. And that guidance states that member states need to provide a do no significant harm assessment for each and every measure of their Recovery and Resilience Plan both for reforms and for investments. And although a simplified approach can be taken for measures that have no or not a significant foreseeable impact on the environmental objectives, member states really need to take this very seriously. It's a key condition for the European Commission if they want to endorse member states' funding plans. So, you know, maybe a key condition, but also sounds like a fairly complicated condition. Do you, um, do you think, Christian, can you give us an example of how that would actually work in practice? Well, Jen, what the taxonomy will say in practice isn't all clear yet, and it's certainly worthwhile keeping an eye on how it develops in the coming months. A good example of this is gas infrastructure. If gas is used to replace more polluting coal, then this is good for attaining the Paris targets, of course. Though in itself, it's not zero or low carbon. And member states have, behind the scenes, had significant controversy around the issue. So then the Commission decided to postpone taking a decision on whether gas is green or not. In other words, watch that space because the ultimate criteria can be unclear for some time to come. However, it is important to realize that the political process around this spending gives ground to uncertainty. And member states have now mostly submitted their recovery spending plans. These then have to be approved by the Commission, but member states will also scrutinize each other's plans. And then there's the European Parliament, which is also calling for a role in scrutinizing all these spending plans. And that means that other legislators will be able to check if a certain country's spending is really as green as it claims, and they have the new EU rules to use as a benchmark. Well, that sounds like lots of checks and balances uh, in there. Um, you know, I mean, thanks very much, Martin Christian. I mean, that's a lot to process. It's a lot of acronyms, um, but it sounds like there is much more on the horizon when it comes to sustainable finance and state aid. So if I'm, you know, a, a general counsel at a company just trying to wrap my head around this issue, what do you think is the key takeaway that a company needs to focus on when they're thinking about this? I'd say you need to be inventive and you need to consider all possibilities for funding, probably and possibly from various member states on the one hand and on the, on the EU budget on the other hand. And for this, you need to really be on top of the various instruments that the EU and the member states are making available. And you need to know for which instruments you will be eligible. I'd agree with that. I think that is a huge opportunity for stakeholders to get involved here and to seek as much and get as much funding under the new instruments as possible. Small caveat though, I think the problem in all of this for now is 
in particular on the state aid front, that there is a lot of uncertainty and it is not clear how funding will actually be obtained and what conditions will be attached to it. In particular, I think the accumulation of funding from various sources, what is allowed, how much money will be made available and to which industry sectors, that's all still up in the air. So I can only advise to closely monitor the shifting field with an eye on the goals that will be entrenched in legislation that meet the climate targets, but also on the practical ways in which regulators are now going to start spending. And in that respect, to engage in a dialogue, as I said before, with regulators early on, because they're also keen at the regulators end to ensure that they are successful in this critical area. Well, both. I mean, it sounds like this definitely uh, will not be our last podcast on sustainable finance and state aid, which uh, I would expect nothing less given, I think, Christian, you said at the beginning that this only requires a complete rethinking of industries and society. So just a small uh, task that we need to get through. Um, but I think in the meantime, if people want to learn more about this topic, you can visit the Freshfield Sustainability blog, where we have regular updates on the latest developments on the role of competition law in helping businesses meet ESG objectives. Next month, the edition of the podcast will be one of our new series, Essential Foreign Investment, where our team will break down for you all the latest developments in the foreign investment sphere. Then we'll be taking a short break in August and returning in early fall with a new episode. In the meantime, please do continue to send any suggestions for topics that you'd like to hear about to us at essentialantitrust at freshfields.com. And in the meantime, we wish you all a great summer and we will see you in the fall with more Essential Antitrust.